third week, our third and final day that we're going to be in this passage, kind of this experiment of uh, staying in this one place, uh, like an orange rind is how I think of it. You squeeze it and juice comes out and you keep squeezing and more comes out. Uh, and one of the most amazing things about uh, the Word of God, Scripture, is how, you know, throughout your, your life, you know, how, how old or young you are, you, you come back to these same passages and you begin to see different things. And uh, it's kind of this, this endless su- supply of, of, of information and, and goodness to our souls. And, and so anyway, we've spent three weeks here. We're going to uh, keep doing that. So far we learned about the putting off of the old self and the putting on of the new self in regards to our words the, uh, that we speak out of our mouth in regards to our hands and uh, the way we, we, we use them. And today we're going to be looking at our, our hearts is kind of the, the general idea. And so we're going to seek to do what the author of Psalm uh, 90.12 sought when he prayed this. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And that's what we desire is a heart of wisdom, not just uh, here in this moment, but a heart of wisdom that, that lives with that wisdom day in and day out. Uh, so if you're able, grab your Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be in verse 25. And here we're going to see two instances of putting off and putting on in relation to our hearts. You'll see the first in verses 26 and 27 regarding anger, and the second in verses uh, 31 and 32 as we kind of contrast uh, the bitterness and a number of other things uh, with kindness and with forgiveness. So let's, let's jump in. <clears throat> verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in, in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for, bu- the bu- for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The grass withers, the flower fades, let us pray. Lord, we, we understand anger and bitterness from a very young age. Uh, we are born with that sinful nature that gives rise to unrighteous anger. But Lord, you, you make us new, and you empower us with the Holy Spirit, and you call us to put off the old self with bitterness and anger and to put on the new self in kindness and forgiveness. Oh Lord, teach us today how we might pursue life according to our new identities in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we've all seen anger. We've all felt anger. In a child, it might boil over into throwing a fit on the floor. It might just be a mean face at somebody. It might result in a child hitting another child. In adults, it might look the exact same, but... We also can be a little more sly about the way we handle our anger. We are slow to show our vengeance, or we seek to use whatever power we might have to cause harm to someone we're angry at. Some of us express it with screaming or with passive-aggressive, snarky remarks. Um, I confess, that's usually mine. Uh, Others of us clam up, you know, 
going to punish somebody with our silence. That's, that's how we'll do it. My oldest brother, when he was a, a teenager, when he would get mad, he would, he would punch the wall uh, right into the, uh, the drywall, and his hand would go through it, and he'd feel powerful and, until the day that he actually hit a stud while doing this and broke his own hand, ending up in a, in a cast. Um, you know, I can remember one particular instance on a, a childhood hunting trip. Uh, if you know me, you know I'm not really much of a hunter today, but as a child, I did it all the time. And uh, I'll never forget watching the dominoes fall as sanity gave way to just craziness between two of my uncles. Uh, my uncle Alfred, uh, these are south, southwest or southeast Missouri people. Uh, anyway, my uncle Alfred was supposed to watch and direct as they were backing up, uh, as he was backing up his, his camper. And my Uncle Alfred got distracted in a conversation, wasn't paying attention at all, and so my Uncle Herb backed right into this fence, the pole of the fence, uh, and so it dented the back of the car. And my Uncle Herb, in this rage of anger, throws it in the drive and speeds forward as fast as he can, uh, crashing into this electric pole, which caused the electric wires to come down and snap onto the ground uh, and, and across the ground. And then he jumps out of this camper and he slams the door in anger. And the window in the, in the door just falls into the, to the door, just broken. Uh, and, and out of his mouth came this vocabulary of words that as a, a nine-year-old boy just caused my face to bug out. I'd never heard these words come out of his mouth before. Uh, and, you know, I, I have this feeling if my dad had not stopped there, stepped in at this very point, my Uncle Alfred might not have lived another day. It was that sort of anger going on. And I can remember, even as a, a nine-year-old boy, just being afraid as I watched this. But also thinking, he looks amazingly foolish in this moment. It, it, you know, there's no reason to be this mad. But I also expect that in the moment of anger... Uh, in his heart, he felt absolutely justified in what he was doing. And that's just it. Doesn't it always feel justified to us in our anger? You, you, you know, but he threw a rock at me. Like, that's why I'm angry. So that makes sense now, right? Well, well I said that about her because... She, she lied about me. Did you hear what she said about me? That's why I did what I did. Or, or you know, he, just, he had it coming. He deserved whatever I did to them. Y'all know. You've been angry before. You've watched it. Um, I, I think we, we often imagine ourselves in anger as these, these passive participants, right? Like, uh, you know, he made me angry. There was nothing I could do about it. Or uh, I, I was just angry because you fill in the blank with anything. I have a reason for being angry. Now you understand why I'm angry. Uh, and I hope you already know. I mean, you've got to know this. No one can actually make you angry. Um, no one can make you act out in that anger. And so we've got to own up to the fact that if we're angry, it's because we've allowed ourselves to be angry. We've allowed kind of the, the craziness of anger to overtake any reasonableness we might have begun with. So let's look at the details in this passage here. Verse 26 uh, starts us off. This is a quote from King David. It comes from Psalm 4.4, uh, saying, Be angry and do not sin. Only here it continues on to add this, you know, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Well, first of all, that's an odd command, isn't it? Be, be angry? Uh, all right, that's, that's something I can do. Um, 
So you know it's not going to mean exactly what you think you're hearing right off the bat. Certainly there's, there's two ways to consider this. There's a, a type of anger that's called righteous anger. God the Father in the, in the scripture is often said to be angry. That's not sin. But we also learn on, on nine occasions that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Not that he's not angry, but slow to anger and abounding in, in steadfast love. That's our God. That's how he reveals himself. Mark 3, 5 tells us that Jesus looked at the Pharisees with anger. Jesus, perfect, but he looked with anger. He was angry at the dishonest money changers in the, in the temple. You know, that's God, right? That's the Savior, but there's also a place for righteous anger in ordinary men and women as well. Uh, Moses, right? Uh, Moses was angry with the people. He comes down from Mount Sinai and he finds out, wow, I haven't been gone that long, but you have made a calf and are worshiping it. He was angry. Um, he was angry how they did not honor the Lord in that situation. The, the author of Psalm 119 and verse 53 tells the Lord, this is the psalmist speaking here, right? He says, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Righteous anger. You see, righteous anger has only the glory of God in mind, and it is motivated by this love for God. Um, so let me repeat that. It's important. Uh, righteous anger has only the glory of God in mind and is motivated by a love for God. But sinful anger is, is the result of, of me not getting my way, right? Our own hearts not getting our way. Often the, the result of our failed desire to control another person in a situation and when they won't do what we think they should do, we get angry. Now, to be fair, there are things that we simply just shrug our shoulders at that really probably should stir some righteous anger in us. You know, uh, the most obvious example is, is abortion. Uh, you know, your heart can be stirred with grief and, and angry that it occurs, that it's legal, that it's increasingly acceptable in the culture. Uh, and you might have righteous anger in that moment. However, that by no means uh, it gives you the right to, to let this anger turn into a, a sinful response. You know, we cannot hate those associated with it. You cannot act violently in regard to it. Um, things of that nature. So there is a, a righteous anger, but I'll tell you, that's not really the direction that this verse is, is going in here. Uh, if you know your, your own heart, and I hope you do to some degree, to, you know, at all, you, you know that the overwhelming majority of our anger is rooted in selfishness or pride, and, and our anger is destructive in nature. That's, that's our heart. Uh, and so the idea here is that you, know, you will feel, feel angry. Um, and usually when you feel angry, that's going to lead to some other sin, Right? It's rare that you're just, I'm angry, and that's the end of it. Uh, it usually goes somewhere from that. Some form of evil, whether it's going to be slander or violence or vengeance, something of that nature. And, and we all know this because we've all been angry at some point or another. You know, the exhausted parents yelling at unruly children. Um, you know, children disappointed in their parents, the way they've been raised. Co-workers disagreeing with each other and, and all the stress that comes with the work on top of the job, you know, on top of that. Spouses failing to stay within the budget, creating financial woes. Someone gets angry. Or, or roommates, you college students know this, right? Ah, the, the, the seemingly eternal dispute of who left the dirty dishes in the sink. Um, it's one of those things that never changes. Who's going to wash them? Well, I always wash mine. Well, something of that nature. You know, you, you get this, that feeling you get from almost any discussion on politics and Facebook. 
the rage inside of you of anger. You, you've all done it where you want to respond and you're thinking, no, no, I shouldn't respond. Facebook rage is like the new road rage. <laughs> or, or angry at God even. We get angry at God when a, when a loved one suffers or a loved one dies. And, you know, or, or maybe just God, you don't run the world like I think you should run it. I've got these things I expect you to do and you haven't done them and, and because you can't control them, you get angry. So now, uh, Marshall Seagal, you've probably never heard of him, but this guy named Marshall, Marshall Seagal wrote this strange and wonderful statement. I read it and I was like, yes, this, I love this. Uh, and it's about anger. I, I think you're going to like it too. He says this, he says, ironically, anger in others offends us. While anger in ourselves comforts us, he keeps going. He says, to, to surrender our anger feels like mutiny against our own heart. To store our anger for another day feels like a warm fleece blanket on a cool winter night. He, he nails it in that way. You know, we, we, we hate to admit this, but he absolutely nails it in the sense that, you know, that's how we feel. Um, but, but James 1, 19 and 20 teaches us to be slow to anger. And then, it, and then it adds this, that, that, and this is the truth, right? Not merely feelings. This is the truth from God's word. He, he adds this, he says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Does not produce the righteousness of God. But anger can feel productive. It's just so satisfying in that moment. You know. You know, that, that satisfaction, though, is not going to remain. And it's, it's never really productive for the things that we really want. If, if you come to you in a good moment and, and when you're really, you know, walking with the Lord and you say, yeah, I want peace and I want harmony and I want unity and I want the glory of God. These are the things we really want. And anger doesn't produce those things. So I hope you, you see it here in, in, in verse 26, though. It's, it's assuming you're going to get angry. That, that's important because you can be so defeated immediately like, oh, I got angry again and just defeat it. It's assuming you're going to get angry. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, sorry, do not let the sun go down on your anger. We're Americans, right? So we're going to ask, well, well why? We always got to know that. And that's okay. You, you know, what's, what's wrong with going to sleep angry if I'm still angry? Um, and I hope the first answer to why really carries some weight in your life. It's an important thing for, for you as a believer. Um, the first reason why is simply, well, God says so, right? We don't like that answer, but that's a pretty sufficient answer to begin with. It, but, but he doesn't just leave us there. The reason that God gives for it is seen there in verse 27. Letting anger fester will give an opportunity to the devil. This opportunity, this, is, this word means place, like a, a spot. It's, uh, you know, don't, don't give the devil any room to operate at all, um, See, this, this isn't about marriage, this verse. It's important. I, uh, it, it's, it's for any relationship. But it's certainly an important verse for our marriages as, as we're aware of, of what God has united together. You know, Satan's going to want to divide. Um, that's exactly what's going on here. It, it's like that Scotty Smith quote on the reflection page in your bulletin. You know, you don't, you don't open the door to the serial killer with a knife and, and you know, I hope he just stays in the living room and behaves himself. You can have a spot right over there. Just behave yourself, you know? For the safety of everyone, you, you get rid of this man. You don't let him in your house. You don't give him a place in there. 
And so when we're angry with people, or, you know, when they're angry with us, we must seek restoration as quick as we possibly can. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is speaking, and, and he equates anger with murder. And we're like, well, that's kind of extreme. But he really does, uh, uh, you know, it, to, to murder another Christian. And then he immediately afterwards, he's teaching us what to do when someone is angry at us. And in Matthew 23, or 5, 23, and 24, he says this, If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, is, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. The point being, be reconciled quickly. Quickly. Uh, last year in our, our parish group, the, the question was asked, um, if you have an argument with your spouse, does it really mean you can't go to bed until it is all worked out? And the way this question was asked, it was very clear that the answer to this question was going to render one of these spouses the winner of an ongoing argument that has been going on. <clears throat> Presumably, one of them would not be allowed to go to bed that night, or they would. Um, and it's a good question. It really is. And, and so the verse doesn't say, go to sleep, does it? Which means if you really want to come to this verse and see what it says, it says, don't let the sun go down. And, and here's one of the things here is, is now that you're getting real technical here, um, if you take it too literal in that sense, you know, the Eskimo up north could really hold on to his anger for at least six months, certain times of the year, because the sun never sets. You know, you could just declare your Eskimo-ness if you didn't want to deal with this. Um, <clears throat> but also, in a, in a more realistic way, you know, a real functional way, sometimes a, a cool-off time might be needed. Time for you to, to pray, time for you to reflect on what's actually happened, what, what you've done in this. Time for you to be willing to forgive another person, to be prepared for that sort of thing. You know? So if you, if you get into this right before bed, it, it might take you till the morning, and sleep might do you good. The, the point here is, <clears throat> do not let anger linger. Okay? Do not let anger linger, because... The devil wants you divided. That's what he wants. That's the little place he wants. You know, if you can just get your, your foot in the door, that's gone. If you can just get your foot in the door, you know, you, you can pry it open. And so he wants spouses and friends and roommates and, and even different races that, you, you know, divided and angry at each other. That's, that's what the Lord desires, particularly in the church and, and, and regarding Christians. And, and so you might find that you, you have to go to bed without truly reconciling, but, but I'll ask you this, why? Why? Why would you want to go to bed without reconciling? You know, my, my hope would be that before you actually do so, you could honestly say, I have done everything in my power to reconcile tonight. Good night. Right? Um, and that, that might mean that we confess, uh, that we repent if we need to. It might mean we correct somebody instead of just giving them the silent treatment. Um, you know... The point is that this is a great way for our homes to, to operate, to function, to, to not let anger linger. Do not, you know, don't let it linger in your, in your hearts. Do not let it linger in your homes. Okay, so let's, let's look at these last two verses in our passage. Verse 31. <clears throat> um, it's all about what we are to put off. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, uh, grammar can be annoying. You hate it in school, almost universally, unless you happen to be an English major, and then you might kind of like it. Um, and uh, here's one of these verses, though, that reminds us there is reason for grammar. It can be very helpful. Uh, did you notice that this is passive here? Uh, it doesn't actually say, 
put away all bitterness, and so on. It says, let all bitterness be put away from you. And, and so what's that mean, right? Do we just stand here and wait? Well, it wasn't put away, so I guess I'll keep it. Um, that's not what it means. Uh, the point is, is that this is a, a supernatural work that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, even if you're not always aware of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. But we can experience this, uh, you know, personally, we kind of experience this as this, this letting go of these feelings, letting go of bitterness. Uh, many adults, many actually I've found, some of you love your parents, and I love to hear those stories, but uh, many adults hold tightly to bitter feelings about their parents because of, of their childhood, uh, or maybe even the adult relationship they have. And again, we might feel absolutely justified in our, our sense of being resentful and unforgiving towards them. And we let this anger fester. And, and here Paul is saying, listen, listen, you're not who you used to be. You, you're a new man. You're a new woman in Christ. And, and the gospel sets you free to let go of this bitterness. That's good for you. The same is true for other heart issues listed here. We see them, wrath, right? Wrath is the, the actual action, the, a violent action of anger and, and clamor. We talked about that before. The, the verbal expression of unrighteous anger, it, it tends to be screaming of some sort, the, the yellers. Um, slander is a quieter attack on someone's reputation. Malice is the, the evil intent in your heart and your mind to do some harm to someone. That's your desire to do to them. And he's saying, Christians, let these be put away from your heart. You don't want these. That's not who you are anymore. And then in verse 32, we, we learn that we're to replace hostility with helpfulness, right? That's kind of the opposite here. Verse 32 lays it out saying, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. And again, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, something that comes because you have the Holy Spirit. And we know that from Galatians 5.22. So this, this, you know, be kind to one another. I, I go to these crafty shops, not on my own free will, but because Laura takes me into these crafty shops, uh, and, and I've noticed that I'll see this statement on the wall very often, and it says, uh, be kind to everyone, and I think, ah, oh, scripture, only below it, it says Ellen, uh, the talk show host, and, and I say that just so you know, you know, Ellen might have said this, but I assure you, the Apostle Paul said it long before Ellen, um, it's a beautiful verse, um, so, so keep in mind, though, here, when we talk about kindness, kindness is not just soft words, right? You, you can have a heart of stone and still say really nice, soft-sounding things. Almost every villain in a children's movie at some point has that scene where they're saying nice, you know, soft words, and yet we're quite aware of the evil intent of this person's heart. You, you Southerners know that when someone says, oh, bless her heart, those are not kind words. <laughs> Uh, on the other hand, you know, confronting someone about indwelling sin might sound rude, but when done biblically, there is a kindness in it, a desire for their good. It's the same way that Romans 2.4 speaks about it. It says, uh, or it tells us that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Um, you know, for the most part, we, we know what kindness is. It's a, it's a good deed that's been done with no strings attached to it, none at all. You know, leaving that, that front row parking spot for someone else. Maybe washing the dish that you didn't dirty. Not so you can hold it over someone's head either, just to do it. 
you know, spending time listening to a friend, encouraging a friend, you know, making cookies and taking them to the firehouse or to the farmhouse, uh, you know, leaving a large tip at the restaurant because you, you get the sense it would be of great benefit to the, uh, the waiter or waitress, be, befriending the new kid at school who, who needs a friend. Um, that's kindness, all these things, you know. We, we're also told here to be tender-hearted. You ever think about that word tender? With an E in the second space there. Uh, tender. If you can feel pain easily in your skin, you, you get a bruise and you can touch it and you feel that. You know, your doctor will say, is this tender? That's what he's talking about. Is it real sensitive? Is it, is it easily moved? And, and that's the idea with our heart. Is our heart easily moved to feel compassion, easily uh, moved to feel concern for someone, to care about them? That's what it's encouraging us to here. Colossians 3.12 says it almost very similar. It says, uh, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. You know, that's something we want to pursue. Sometimes life can harden our hearts. Um, we want compassionate hearts. And, and so then the last nine words here are, well, they're just, they're just amazingly powerful. Um, verse 33 says this. says, we are to be tender-hearted, which we just looked at, but it keeps going, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you can overlook an offense without bitterness entering into your heart, then do so. What I mean is that someone, you know, misspeaks. Uh, they say something unintentionally that, that hurts your feelings. Uh, <clears throat> try and be gracious to them. If you can overlook it, do so. But, but the reality is, since we're all sinful people, we're bound to sin against each other. And so for the sake of unity, for the sake of the glory of God, it's important that we be quick to forgive each other. In the Lord's Prayer that we, we say every single week in our liturgy, you know, Jesus teaches us to pray this, right? Uh, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And our, our, our passage today is, is really taking the golden rule and building upon it in this beautiful, beautiful way. You know, the, uh, the golden rule says that we, we treat others the way we wish to be treated. And, and here we're being called by God, being called to treat others as God has treated us. Namely, that we graciously forgive each other. Uh, Jerry Bridges says this so well. He says, the, the person who is living by grace sees the vast contrast between his own sins against God and the offenses of others against him. He forgives others because he himself has been so graciously forgiven. I mean, Christian, do you know the worth of your being forgiven in Christ? Do you, do you know it? Because it's, it's quite amazing, really. You know, can, can you relate to the psalmist who, in Psalm 100, or 130, verses 3 and 4, says this, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Do you ever feel the weight of that? If God were going to hold your sins against you, who could stand? And it keeps going, it says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If Jesus forgives us, as totally depraved and rotten as we are, then there is literally nothing that we cannot forgive another human of. It's not to say someone can't do something terrible to you and it be difficult and painful, but there is nothing we cannot forgive. So someone seeks our forgiveness, we, we give it to them. They don't 
seek it, we must be willing to give it to them because, you know, you, you, can't, you simply can't be given uh, forgiveness if, if you don't seek it. Um, you know, in other words, re- repentance precedes forgiveness in, in this sense. Uh, what I hope you see, though, is that um, forgiveness is how we apply the gospel to others. It's huge. It's, forgiveness is how we as Christians apply the gospels to others, whether believe it or not. When we forgive, we rehearse the greatest story that's ever been told. We rehearse the story that communicates real forgiveness from a real Savior for real sins, and it gives real hope. Anger and bitterness, that's a very different story we tell. Very different. Um, And I'll say this, you know, forgiving easily doesn't mean that that we don't take sin seriously. Um, God certainly didn't treat sin as though, you know, it's no big deal. It cost him greatly. It, it, you know, God calls sin, sin, and then he covers it uh, with the death of Christ. Greatly. Uh, and so we can only forgive sin that's been done against us, right? Uh, we can only reconcile ourselves with other people. Uh, but when we forgive others, it can and often should cost us something. And I know that sounds a little strange at first. Let me try to explain it. Uh, what I mean is that uh, forgiveness will cost you in the sense of this. It's going to cost you that sense of satisfaction um, that we might feel. You know, the satisfaction you might get from getting vengeance on someone. It's going to cost you that. Or it might cost you that, that self-righteous feeling of superiority over another person. Or it might cost, you know, the, that sinful sense of pleasure we get from telling others uh, our story of just how wronged we have been by some other person. See, when Jesus says you're forgiven, you really are. He doesn't keep holding it against you. You know, it's, it's not some sort of backburner blackmail waiting to be used at a later date. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. You see, forgiving others doesn't mean that, that there aren't consequences for sins. Okay? I think we misunderstand that sometimes. If a, a stabbed victim can forgive the man who stabbed him, and, and at the same time, the, the man will serve time in jail for that crime. It, it also doesn't mean that things go back to exactly as they were before, like, you know, like that, as if it never happened. You know, if someone sins against you by, by breaking your trust and, and they repent, you should forgive them, absolutely forgive them, relinquish, you know, anger, let go of any bitterness, love them, but that doesn't mean that you immediately begin to trust them again. And I say that because I think that confuses us sometimes on what forgiveness is. Trust, trust is earned over time, and, and while we're quick to forgive, we might need to be slow to trust again. I think you'll, you'll find there is a, a, a burden lifting freedom to forgive others in Christ in the same way that he has forgiven you. Uh, I read this, this story years ago, and I, I saved it, and uh, it's about an Amish man, a guy named uh, Monroe Beachy. It was in the newspaper. Uh, he spent over two decades running a $33 million Ponzi scheme. I know, I didn't know the Amish had $33 million either. Uh, and he involved 2,600 of his Amish friends and neighbors. Eventually, afterwards, he confessed to what he had done, he repented, and he wrote a handwritten letter to every single person who lost their life savings because of him. You can imagine that people receiving these were very bitter, or could have been very bitter at what he had done to them. And one older widow, widow took the time to write back to him, and this is what she wrote. She said, Greetings in Jesus' name. 
a few weeks ago, I got a letter from you, and you said that you hope I can forgive you of how things went. Yes, I can forgive you. We all make mistakes. That's why Jesus was here, to save us poor sinners. God be with you, Ida Miller. That's a woman who understands the gospel. That's a woman who is free. You know, we've been forgiven freely ourselves. Let us also forgive others freely. So I'll ask you this, and then we'll pray. You know, who, who are you <clears throat> withholding forgiveness from that you need to truly forgive? Who, who wronged you, and, and you need to, to let go of bitterness towards them? Who are you angry at that, that you need to go and make peace with? You know, how do we apply this? Think about that. Act on that. The Lord has been gracious to you. Seek to be gracious to others. Let us pray.